0: in the new year we'll return to our series in one Thessalonians and uh, this evening we're going to carry on with the message that we were looking at this morning so 1 Timothy 3 verse 16 Paul is uh, giving instructions on how uh, to elect elders and deacons and in the middle of that he suddenly Uh, goes on a glorious tangent quoting from an ancient hymn on the person and work of Jesus Christ and he says, Great is the mystery of godliness without controversy. Wouldn't it be wonderful if this was the only controversy that the church had? Uh, Not all these other distractions, but the person and work of Jesus Christ. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels. That's the first stanza of the hymn. And as we saw this morning, it's all about the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. And the second stanza, which we'll look at tonight, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. Jesus didn't finish his work when he ascended into heaven he's continuing his work seated at the right hand of the father and so what we've got in this second stanza is the ministry of our ascended saviour do you believe that Jesus is alive do you believe that there is a man in glory and that he and he alone is the head of the Church. Do you believe that he has been working since his ascension? That in the w- words of one church history book, the last 2,000 years or so have been 2,000 years of Christ's power, building his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against her. Do we believe in these glorious truths? So three lines in this stanza will go through each one and the subject of every line, as this morning, is Jesus Christ. So the first line, preached among the Gentiles. What is that? Before Jesus ascended to heaven, he called his disciples together and he authorized them He commissioned them with a work. We all know the words. All authority has been given me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, what a precious promise. I am with you always even until the end of the world. Nigel Council used to encourage me by reminding me, you are in that pulpit by divine appointments. I like that. By divine appointments. The church didn't come up uh, with the order of how we do things. We have received from our Saviour. And what we're doing tonight, singing his praises, praying, hearing his word, and especially the preaching of the word, it's not man-made. It's appointed of God. And there is something awesome about what we are about this evening. Uh, We are actually fulfilling uh, the words of this hymn. Because... Aren't all of us Gentiles? And what are we doing at this very moment? We're hearing the word of God preached. Preached among the Gentiles. But it didn't start like that, did it? It started with a hundred or so people gathered in an upper room. They were afraid, even though they had met the risen Savior, and that had encouraged them. Uh, He was about to leave them and descend into heaven but he was going to send another who was going to be with them the spirits and he has commissioned them but I still think they were gathered in that upper room with fluttering hearts we would have been like that wouldn't we and yet what did he promise them what were the words in our reading that they were to preach this good news to every nation under heaven beginning at Jerusalem, their own sphere, and then taking it to the surrounding area, Judea, and then even Samaria. You know what Samaria was like in those days. You didn't go to Samaria if you were a Jew, but you are going to Samaria, Jesus says. There are no, no no-go areas for my gospel. Think of the Samaria's in Cardiff. And even to the uttermost parts of the earth, and you know what? By the end of the first generation, that group of nobodies had turned the civilized world upside down. And by a few centuries later, even the Roman Emperor Constantine had to recognize Christianity as the religion of his empire. Whether that was a good thing or not, we don't know. But see how the gospel had spread fulfilling this. And ever since uh, the days of the New Testament church, the gospel has gone all over the world. And we are living in exciting times today because as we heard on Wednesday night from Wycliffe, there are people being reached with the gospel that have never heard it before. And we are getting close, aren't we? To the fulfillment of the prophecies that the knowledge of the lord shall fill uh, this earth as the waters cover the sea now let's pause here and think who did jesus appoint to begin with to preach his gospel well they were jews think those who cried out a few weeks before crucify him were Jews inhabitants of Jerusalem when Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost a Jew to preach Christ what had he been like a few weeks before we know the story he had denied his Lord three times and he got himself into a very bad place now he is the one of all the group that is preaching jesus christ and that first sermon that was preached under the auspices of the church who were converted they were jews most of them visiting jerusalem from the diaspora from uh, the jewish areas of the roman world they were there for the passover for the feast of pentecost and so even on the day of pentecost this is being fulfilled Because the 3,000 that were converted were from different parts of the Roman Empire. And amongst them were what John Bunyan called the Jerusalem sinner. Do you know what that refers to? The Jerusalem sinner? Some of these people were the very ones a few weeks before that cried out away with him, crucify him. Now they're pricked in their hearts and they are asking Peter, what must I do to be saved? Isn't that wonderful? Oh, how the grace of God amazes me. So the fact that Jesus, first of all, gave this gospel to Jews is astounding. And the kind of Jews that were converted on the day of Pentecost. And then when he calls Saul of Tarsus a Jew of the Jews, to what? not to preach the gospel mainly amongst his own people but to take it to the Gentiles who is he choosing he's choosing one of the worst of people because he was persecuting the church and yet Jesus Christ isn't fazed by that he takes this persecutor and turns him into the most powerful preacher of the gospel isn't the grace of God awesome aren't you gobsmacked by it we would never have planned that, would we? And then it's these Jews and Saul of Tarsus, now Paul, who before he was converted considered the Gentiles, and all Jews considered the Gentiles in this light. They considered them dogs, and that wasn't a term of endearment. They were outsiders. They were unclean. No Jew would get involved with a Gentile. But now, look at what they are doing. They are taking this gospel, not just to their own people, but they're taking it to all the nations. And foremost amongst them is the one who not that long ago was persecuting the church and who considered Gentiles to be the worst of the worst. Isn't that amazing? I I just can't get over uh, the way that Jesus Christ works humanly all of this is impossible isn't it Uh, we've talked that mystery in the New Testament means unveiling the removing of the veil there's another veil you know talked about in the Bible there was a veil that separated Jew from Gentile there was in the temple the court of the Gentiles and then there was the courts that no Gentile was allowed in. There was a veil, a wall, if you like, separating Jew from Gentile. But what has happened in the Gospel? Wonder of wonders. But now in Christ, Paul reminds the Ephesians of this: "In Christ, you Gentiles that formerly were afar off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made both groups, Jews and Gentiles into one." And broken down the barrier, the dividing wall. And we are all one in Christ. No Jew, no Gentile, no male, no female, no bond, no free. And he, Jesus, came. See, he's in glory, but he's preaching through us. And he came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to them Who were near isn't this what we've seen in the last two thousand years walls of division not just the one between jew and gentile but other walls of separation being brought down by the gospel of jesus christ hang on you say i see the opposites hasn't religion caused all sorts of divisions in our world doesn't it inflame hatred and bigotry yes religions do but not jesus christ when the gospel is preached in power, walls do come down. Uh, Even lesser walls, uh, the walls between denominations. In the 19th century, in the 1859 revival, in the 1904 revival, the different denominations worked together, you see, because something greater was bonding them, the gospel, it was as if they uh, got over their little walls. It's like this. That's not very high, is it? i think i could get over that into the pulpit if i wanted to well when god is at work our walls are very small indeed so christ power for two thousand years building his church through the preaching of his word this is spurgeon uh, these group of nobodies they had Penetrated Scythia. Scythia was the barbarian region around the Caspian Sea. Uh, They had uh, reached Athens, the seats of philosophy. They had gone into Rome and all they had was the cross. Their only weapon was the sword of the spirits. They didn't have organisation. They didn't have Resources they didn't have contacts with the greats and the good the movers and the shakers all they had was the word and the word preached in the power of the spirits don't you want that? and the history of the last 2000 years has seen the light of this gospel go forth into the dark world now There are times, and we are living in such times in the West, when it seems as if the darkness is going to take over. But there are still lights shining. You know, these fairy lights, they they look lovely, don't they? And there are little lights to the gospel all over Cardiff. (laughs) It's a dark city, but God hasn't extinguished his gospel lights. And all over Wales, it's even darker in West Wales and in the middle of Wales. There are very few faithful gospel churches, but God still has his lights. There have been dark ages before, and they have been followed by the Reformation. Who knows whether that can happen again in the West? I've not given up on the West, because God hasn't given up and then there are parts of the world where the light is blazing even today I wish all of you could go to India just to be amongst God's people where the Savior is taking his word forward in mighty power I wish all of you could go to some countries in Africa or Latin America or China we, we've got our small little world and we think uh, that it's a day of small things everywhere it's not it's not the gospel is being preached all over the world there isn't a day that goes by when someone isn't speaking of jesus christ <laughs> isn't that wonderful there are still corners of the world that haven't heard the gospel and maybe that's why Jesus is delaying his second coming. But many parts of the globe now have heard the joyful sound that Jesus saves. My friends, the future is bright. It's as bright as the promises of God. I'm reminding myself here of the 19th century it wasn't just revival after a decade in the 19th century it was it wasn't just the golden age of preaching here in Wales and in North America and in England and in Scotland that there was a worldwide vision the missionary vision we, we sometimes separates overseas mission from the home mission but there is no wall of separation It's all one mission, the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, the young men that had this missionary vision in the 19th century, we didn't have many missionary organizations then, and those that were around were very small affairs. But God laid it on the hearts of William Carey at the end of the 18th century to take the gospel to India, even though he was put down by godly older men who said to him in a meeting, young man, if God means to convert the heathen, he will send somebody. Dear me, God had already laid it on the heart of young William Carey and he was not going to be stopped by such remarks. Hudson Taylor, a little later, he he hardly had anything. And yet God inflamed his heart to go to china and those men and women read about them it's thrilling reading many missionary books are out of print now doesn't that say a lot about the state of the churches in the west they were willing to undergo all sorts of hardships because they saw themselves fulfilling the mighty plan of god they didn't even count their lives dear to them so we are on the winning side, we bear the torch that flaming fell from the hands of those who gave their lives proclaiming that Jesus died and rose. Ours is the same commission, the same glad message, ours. Fired, may we be fired. We need some fire, don't we? Fire in the pulpit, yes, but fire in the pews as well. Fired by the same ambition, to thee we yield our powers. God doesn't want great gifts. God doesn't want great things in the world's eyes. God wants you. It's availability that God wants. That's what care he had. He didn't have the resources. He didn't have all the other things. But he had a heart consecrated to the Lord. And that's all that God is asking of you and me. Here am I, Lord. Send me. May we have a missionary vision again. May there be no dichotomy between this area and the world. I love this church because we do have many missionaries. May that continue. Is God calling somebody here this evening to the mission field? And then the next line, believed on in the world. This is why the gospel is preached to all uh, the nations. My friends i forgot to mention we are living proof of these words because we are gentiles converted we are people from different nationalities different social stratas different personalities different ages we are living proof of the power of the gospel even in the 21st century praise god And then this gospel goes out so that it's to be believed. Do you believe as we saw this morning? Now, in the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost, you will see 3,000 believing in one sermon. Give me that, Lord. I'll retire then. 3,000. How much does this church hold? 800, 900? Multiply that by three converted in one sermon. And if you read Peter's sermon, I don't know what our Bible colleges would say of it. But it's very plain. Yet under the anointing of the Spirit, 3,000 brought in. You never know what will happen if you pray for the preaching of the word during the midweek meeting. There was a preacher, wasn't there, used of God in the, uh, have I got it right, Kirk revival? in Scotland, uh, many centuries ago, uh, apparently, he didn't see much fruit, the rest of his life, but one sermon, or a few sermons, during communion season, in Kirkus brought many, into the kingdom, and in the book of Acts, it's not just one wave, of the power of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, you see wave, after wave, coming in, don't you, there are times, when it's tough, Uh, Even the great Apostle Paul, one of the greatest preachers ever, had somebody fall asleep under his preaching. They didn't have health and safety in those days because the poor person uh, fell through a window. But on the whole, the Book of Acts is a story of outpouring after outpouring of the spirit. And you know what? This is why we study church history. I never liked history at school. What got me into history was being converted and studying church history. Because church history is thrilling. It's 2,000 years of Christ's power and it's wave after wave of outpourings of the Spirit. But in between those waves, there are long periods where nothing much seems to be happening, like in the West at the moment. But that doesn't mean that God is no longer at work. He's still working. The ones and the twos being saved, and we are still going on preaching the word and witnessing to him and having outreach events we don't use revival as an excuse to sit back no we keep on preaching we keep on praying we keep on witnessing we keep on seeking to live godly lives but we're looking to the lord aren't we for something more something more i i don't want to detain you for too long but I could mention some, some of these waves uh, that have come, uh, the tide coming in, the tide has gone out. How far must it go before it turns again? Didn't Mr. Hyam preach in the Arbor Conference on the turning of the tide? Lord, turn the tide. Turn the tide. My one comfort is when the tide has gone out farthest, it's then it begins to turn. That's positive, isn't it? I'm just thinking of how bad Wales was in the 18th century. Worse than today. There was very little literacy. That's why Griffith Jones was raised of God, to start the circulating schools. There was rampant immorality, worse than today. Anglesey was particularly bad. And yet, after wave and wave of the outpourings of the Holy Spirit. Anglesey by the 19th century, somebody said to me, if you put a roof over Anglesey, you had a chapel. So much it had been transformed. Oh, my friends, this is exciting, exciting. I know there was much uh, carnal fire, but the 0405 revival had much of the fire of the Spirit as well. There were periods when the law courts didn't have any more cases to try wouldn't that be good again but we are not living in such times but my friends are you looking to god to pour out his spirits in such a way again don't give up crying some of you have been praying for decades carry on praying it may not be in your lifetime not even in my lifetime but god hears and answers prayer But in the days of small things, let's still look to God. Our danger, if we're not careful, like Abraham and Sarah, is to panic. Uh, Where is this child of God, this promise uh, seed? God needs a little help. So you know what happened. Abraham slept uh, with Hagar and Ishmael was produced we can produce Ishmael's, but only God can give Isaac's. Let's do our utmost to take the gospel out. I think we need to have a greater burden for reaching people with the gospel. It's not just the ministry of the word. We're all to be witnesses to Jesus Christ and we're to use every legitimate means. John Pugh had that burden, you know, and it's so encouraging to see... uh, more recent ventures started by us. But we're not depending on those things, are we? Only God can save. We want Isaacs, and we're looking to God, and your children who are not saved, bring them to the Lord. But pray that he would save them in his own time. Look at what it says here, believed on in the world. It's in the past tense, but he's still being believed on isn't he do you know what no day goes by when somebody doesn't believe how many people have believed in christ over the world since i've started the sermon this evening i don't know but i know jesus is building his church he's building the church isn't uh, bricks and mortar it's living stones and it's not one local church it's many churches And Jesus Christ, for 2,000 years, has been a builder. And he's building. He's doing a perfect job. And do you know what? One day, the last living stone will be put in. We don't know if that's going to happen tomorrow or if it's going to happen in 100 years. But once the last living stone has come in, finito, he'll be coming back for his church mission accomplished my friends isn't it thrilling to be part of this mission not just when roger carswell or another missionary is here but all the time we have this missionary burden and then very quickly taken up in glory now if this refers to his ascension it doesn't make sense does it because if the gospel is being preached all over the world and people are coming to faith, the ascension happened before then. So it can't refer to the ascension. The key is the word glory. Doxa. What's glory? Glory is radiance. There's the weight of glory. Isaiah had a vision of the glory of God in the temple, and it overwhelmed him. When God pours his spirits there is something of heaven upon earth. It's just a foretaste. And what we've got here is Jesus Christ in glory. Coming back, coming back. Uh, One of the early uh, Christians did a creed based on this hymn, Epiphanus, And he did a second creed based on it. And it goes like this. And I think he is on to something. The word became flesh, the same suffered in the flesh and rose again, went up to heaven in the same body and sat down gloriously at the right hand of the father and is coming in the same body, that glorious body, in glory. The cloud refers to that glory of God to judge the quick and the dead. So I think it's right to take this taken up in glory. Jesus has ascended, he's in the glory, our man in glory. But once the last living stone has been put in his living temple, he's going to return in glory. And that will bring about the end of this present age. And he will vindicate his church and he will complete the work of his redemption because this world will be done away with, and he'll build a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. And we will no longer be dragged down by these bodies which are going the way of the world, but we will have new resurrection bodies. And you know what? That will be glory for me, and it will be glory for you. And it's something that keeps us going. And you know you are looking forward to it, aren't you? <laughs> we've lost so many dear dear members these last two three years we haven't lost them they've gone to glory they've gone to be with the lord which is far better and paul says this is the mystery of godliness because i know of nothing better to inspire us to live godly lives in this present world than to live in anticipation of the return of jesus christ we're living as part of the mighty plan of taking his gospel to all the nations we're all part of that we're all cogs some of you are smaller cogs than others but it doesn't matter we're all cogs in this wheel of salvation do you see yourself do you see our church in that way May God deliver us from religiosity. May God not allow Heath to become a religious organisation. We are the living body of Christ. We've got the living gospel to preach and we want to do it in the power of the living God. Hudson Taylor said God's work done in God's way will never lack, never lack. Uh, Can I just end? I think we've got time by mentioning this illustration. It's... A lengthy quote, but it's worth reading. On a dangerous sea coast where shipwrecks often occurred, there was once a crude little lifeboat station. The building was just a hut, and there was only one boat, but the few devoted members kept a constant watch over the sea and, with no thought for themselves, went out day and night tirelessly looking out for lost people some of those who had been saved and various others in the surrounding area wanted to become associated with the station and give of their time money and efforts for the support of its work new boats were brought and new crews were trained with commitments and energy the little lifeboat station grew some members of the lifeboat station were unhappy that the building was so crude and poorly equipped they felt that a more comfortable place should be provided as the first refuge of those saved from the sea, so they replaced the emergency hammocks with beds and put better furniture in the enlarged building. Now the lifeboat station became a popular gathering place for its members, and they decorated and furnished it beautifully and started using it as a sort of club. Fewer members were now interested in going out on life-saving missions, so they hired lifeboat crews to do this work life-saving pictures and mementos decorated the club's walls where official meetings were held about this time a large ship was wrecked off the coast and the hired crews brought in boatloads of cold wet and half-drowned people they were dirty and sick with different personalities and temperaments and others from different cultures the beautiful new club was in chaos so the committee immediately had a shower house built outside the club where shipwreck victims could be cleaned up before coming inside at the next clubs meeting the membership was divided most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities since they were unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal social life of the club but some members insisted that life-saving was their primary purpose, and pointed out that they were still called a lifeboat station. However, they were finally outvoted, and told that if they wanted to save the lives of all types of people who might be shipwrecked, they could begin their own lifeboat station somewhere else, further down the coast. So they did. And as the years went by, similar changes took place in the new station as well. It also evolved into a club, and consequently, another lifeboat station was founded elsewhere. History continued to repeat itself. And on that sea coast today, you will find a number of exclusive clubs along the coastline. Shipwrecks are still frequent in those waters, but most of the people are never reached and are never saved. Hudson Taylor, some wish... No, C.T. Studd, sorry. Some wish to live within the sound of church or chapel bell i want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell amen let us close by singing together we have heard the joyful sound jesus saves 450 Praise thee for everyone here that has been saved. And for those that have been saved more recently. How good is the God we adore. And Lord, may we never become a club. May we always be a rescue station. And may we not do it in our own strength. But may we just stand back and see the salvation of our God. Come, great spirits, come. And now may that grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forever. Amen.